I, uh, this, is, this is part two of um, a two-part series we've been doing on coping with being ill. And uh, if you uh, haven't heard the first part, then have a look on the website or go around iTunes and you'll certainly find it. It's talking about how that for many people, Christian or not, uh, we're sort of ill for, I don't know, your guess is as good as mine, but you know maybe about a third of the time in any given year, or 25%. I mean, I don't think it's terribly inaccurate that, to say that we're either under the weather or we're not exactly 100%. And maybe for you know, a few percent per year, we really are ill. We're not at work. And, uh, and for some people, even if they're not at work, they're still ill and they're just because they're so dedicated to their company or whatever they are. Um, we sort of get ill. And um, what I wanted to raise, I need this to be brought up so I can uh, do it. Will it not move for me? I'll let you fiddle until it, uh, until it does. For a lot of the time, uh, we actually find ourselves in, in like a Pentecostal setting or a charismatic setting, there we go, where um, in fact, uh, we've not been very good with people who are ill. Because all we really ever spoke about were miracles, you see, and, and healing. So if you wanted to get healed... Uh, you're in good. You're in a good place in some Pentecostal churches, anyway. But if you were sick and you weren't being healed, then you sometimes you're in a bad place because no one knew how to cope with anyone being ill. All we knew was to rejoice if somebody got healed, which, by the way, wasn't all that much, was it? And and it occurred to me that actually we never, as as churches, and maybe other churches are much better at this. But I certainly have never heard a message about being ill and how to cope with it and what I just heard about healing, you see. So this was our introduction from, from last time. And we looked at the first two points that, number one, illness shouldn't be thought of as unusual. And last time I went through a whole list of all the people in the Bible that were, that were ill. Some of them, you know, quite famous names, famous characters, if you like, that, that suffered terribly, that didn't get miraculously healed, while others did. Uh, an amazing example uh, is, of course, the Apostle Paul, who laid his hands on the sick and saw miracles, but he himself was terribly ill for at least one period of his life. And we saw a whole host of them. Elisha died from an illness, and, and Hezekiah was ill, and Daniel was ill after, after a an encounter with God. Church made Daniel ill. It's rather bizarre, isn't it? Um, So illness should not be thought of as unusual, as though something's wrong. And we talked about how, you know, sometimes in a Pentecostal church, you can be scared to tell people you're ill. Oh, what have you done? Is something wrong? Uh, You know, or have you sinned? Or don't don't you you believe? And, And so people can become... People can put on a Sunday mask, not just about whether they're depressed or happy, but whether they're, whether they're sick or healthy. 
And um, so sickness should not be thought of as something that's unusual. The second thing we looked at was that illness can be a real test of character. And it really, really can. It really, really can. When you're ill, you are likely to be less holy than when you are not ill. And therefore, you should be all the more diligent to be holy when you are ill than, uh, than other times. Uh, if you are in pain, you're more likely to be bad-tempered. If you are uh, been sick for a long time, you're more likely to be negative or, or uh, unpleasant to be with. And sometimes those things are a little bit unavoidable, of course. Uh, but we should look to make sure that we live right. And we looked at the example of Job, where the devil said, he's, he's keeping holy because you didn't let me make him ill, Lord. But as soon as I make Job ill, never mind his losing his farm and his kids and his servants, if I make him ill, then he will fall into sin. And it's a lesson for us that, uh, how true that could be. So it can, it can be a test of character, a test that we must pass. Okay, here's the last two. The first thing is that illness can be used by God for good. Now I think we're... I think we're all fairly familiar with that idea that things that go wrong in our lives can be used by God for good. We're all fairly familiar with that. And there's an example, it's in John chapter 9, where uh, a man is blind and the disciples say, well, why is he blind? And they have a little theological discussion about it. But Jesus' conclusion is, that the reason why the man had suffered this was so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And uh, so God has a way of seizing the opportunity. Can I just say that's slightly different to saying God makes us ill. I don't know whether God makes people ill, but what I do know is that in the midst of illness, God can seize the opportunity to, to do some work in our life. And uh, in Job chapter 33, I want to show you something where God, and this is the Bible, so it's the, it's the word of God, it's, it's, it's not my views, it's what God says. The way that God speaks, and in Job 33 and verse 14, we read something really, really interesting, which I suspect is not highlighted in your Bible with one of those marker pens. It wouldn't be something you would put on your fridge or, or put on a t-shirt. But God says, Job is speaking for, in verse 14, for God does speak now one way, now another. It's a way of saying God talks in this way and God talks in that way, there's many ways that God can try to speak to us. And so now he begins to explain the ways that God uh, does speak. He says, though man may not perceive it. God talks, but man is not listening. He says in verse 15, in a dream, in a vision of the night. Wow, this is exciting. Here's a way God can speak to you. In a dream or in a vision of the night, very exciting, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds. 
he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn man from wrongdoing, to keep him from pride, to preserve his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. So there's one way that God can speak. He says God can speak to us in a dream, a vision. He can speak into our ears. This is all really, really exciting until we get to verse 19 where the Bible says, or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in his bones so that his very being finds food repulsive. How many of you food addicts out there know that the only way you really know that you're ill is when you just... No, actually, I I won't eat. I remember attending a a function at the very beginning of the year and uh, uh, we had a guest speaker down. We were having a big, big meal and I sat there at the end of the table and I didn't eat. And I tell you, everyone knew that I was ill that night. I didn't have to walk in with crutches. I didn't have to have dark glasses on. All I needed to do was say, no naan bread for me. And everyone knew, oh, this, he's, he really is ill. He's not making this up. He says that he was in a bed of pain. He's got distress in his bones. He can't eat. And his flesh, verse 21, wastes away to nothing. Well, I never quite pulled that off. But, um, and bones sticking out. Not quite done that. But his soul draws near to the pit. It's amazing. God says, God says that there are times when I want to talk to people. So what I do is, and this may not be in any particular chronological order, but I try and talk to him. I try and give him a vision. No, he won't listen to the vision. Okay. I'll give him a dream. No, he's not listening to the dream. Okay. I'll speak to him directly into his ears. And in our context today, maybe that means that someone preaches something or someone prophesies something. So now it's words. It's not just a dream. It's words now into the ears. Is he going to listen to that? Is that going to change his life? Nope. He's still living the way he was before. God says, okay, I tell you what I'll do. I tell you what well, I'll take advantage of. I will, I'll bring into a season of his life, some difficulty, and I'll speak through the difficulty. I remember in uh, the very end, do you remember 1999? You remember that? When we thought all our computers were going to break? And we all ran out and bought new things. And, and, and Was that ever true, by the way? Did, did anyone have anything break? People were terrified to go on an airplane New Year's Eve, 1999, because it crashed. And Boy, oh boy, what, what was that about? Millennium bug? I don't know didn't strike me. But I remember in 1999, we were holding a, uh, uh, a big party in the church. This is in Devon. And uh, it was our New Year's party. And so we're having this big New Year's party. And, and I'm at the back and I was doing the, I was doing the sound for the, for the party. And uh, I remember we're now getting, you know, 10 nine. And what, by the way, what they didn't know is we were trying to tune in to Big Ben on the radio. You know you can do that. But c- c- can we tune into Big Ben in a church? I don't think so. And so 
I had, to, I had to have a recording. Listen to this. this. This is my confession of sin. I'd have a recording of Big Ben, and I had to time it on my watch so that it seemed like it was. Come, but in fact, it was New Year's Eve, like 1972, you know, I'd recorded. Anyway, um, so I'm at the back, tune, you know, bringing up Big Ben, 10, 9, eight, and I remember, whew, in fact, as I think about it, it makes me feel funny. I was really ill. I thought, boy, I can't wait for this party to end. And I knew as one of the ministry team, I'd, be, I'd have to clean up as well, you know. And I, it wasn't like the normal New Year's Eve party. Oh, it's, it's five past twelve. We're all leaving now, you know. We, we've, we've stuck it out. I knew I had to stay till one, two o'clock in the morning. I remember feeling so ill. And in fact, for the whole of uh, the first ten days of the, of the 21st century, I was just totally in bed and I had the flu and lasted about three weeks but it was the most amazing time in my life it really was an amazing amazing time God came into the bedroom where I was and he told me things that were going to happen in the future I'll, I'll be specific with you. He told me these words. He said, by the end of this year, remember this is the 1st of January, uh, or something like the 10th of January, the year 2000. He said, by the end of this year, you won't be living in Devon. And, uh, and he gave me two names, two men. He said, you're going to work with these two people. Two people. And uh, I got so the revelation was so strong. I'm not talking about now that I'm writing this back in, you know, like we sometimes do. Well, God told me, you know, and I'm, I'm not writing it back in. I was so, uh, the revelation was so strong that when I was able to move about again, I actually drove over. I went over to see my mum, who's not, not a Christian. And I stood in her kitchen and I told my mum, this is what's going to happen by the end of the year. How many know if you're telling her, your unsaved family member of prophecy, you're probably fairly you know, convinced of it. And uh, amazingly, by the end of the year, all those things had, had uh, come to pass. Those two names that were given to me, men I would work with, one of them I went to Brazil with in, uh, I think, November of that year. And uh, it was November of that year. And the other name was Glenn Balfour, who was the pastor here before me. And I ended up moving here. It's extraordinary. It was the, one of the greatest moments of revelation. You know, God telling me the future. I, mean, I know you talk to some charismatics and God's telling them the future every day. That's not me. Uh, I, this was just a, like a one-off. But it all happened because I was sick in a bed. And it makes me wonder whether that would really have ever happened if I hadn't been sick in the bed. Maybe the things would have come to pass, but maybe I wouldn't have had God talk to me about them. So I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes it's kind of good to be laid, laid, laid out a bit. It gives God opportunity to kind of talk to you and, and uh, redirect you. Uh, if you forgive me, misquoting Psalm 23, uh, the Bible says that God makes us to lie down. And uh, there are times when it's not the worst thing in the world 
for you to have to be off work for three days and lie in bed. That may not be the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And you may not come out of it thinking, oh, the devil is nasty. If you just think to yourself, why am I here? Why am I in this bed? Why am I unwell? Lord, are you wanting to visit me at this particular time in my life? And uh, so we see that in this Job passage, God speaks powerfully to him. God really does work all things together for good. And so that's not to say that God makes us ill. Uh, maybe there are times that you can look through the Bible, find a few instances that kind of hint at that. But that's not really what I'm, what, what I'm uh, suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that God will seize the opportunity. He'll take the divine opportunity to speak into your life. Okay. Let's talk for a little while, and this is really the heart of this second part of this message. What do we do then when we are ill? How do we respond to illness? How do we respond when we are unwell? Both in ourselves, to God, and to other people. How, how do we respond? How do you respond if someone you love is ill, as well as you being ill? Okay, here's what I think the Bible says. First of all, we should seek God for recovery. In a moment, I'm going to say something about going to the doctor. But let us begin with this, this principle. We should seek God for recovery. I have a great love for the medical profession. This morning, uh, in coming here, yesterday we went to the tip. And uh, half of our house, by the way, has just gone. And, uh, including the TV that I was keeping, and I was sure I would fix it one day. Uh, but uh, we went to the tip, and by going to the tip, we kind of changed the car and moved the seats. And yesterday, oh, so that was all done yesterday. This morning, I leapt into the car, the seats still where they were, and bang, did I hit my head. Do you know what my first course of action was? It wasn't really to pray. My first course of action was, uh, Jane, you haven't got a paracetamol of you in your back. <laughs> so there's nothing, I'm not speaking against taking medicine, as you'll see in a minute. But uh, let's just be really clear. God wants us to seek him to heal us. God wants that from us. And we see in the Bible, really from Genesis through to Revelation, that God heals people. It's kind of like, the, I wanted to imagine that it's actually perfectly possible for God to have revealed himself to us not as a healer. It, you know, he didn't have to. That's, that, that's what I mean. He didn't have to say he would heal anybody. He didn't have to. The main thing he wants to do is redeem us, isn't it? Save us. Forgive us of our sins. That's the main thing God wants to do. And if that was the message of the Bible, the only message it would still be utterly glorious. It's God who has put, I heal the sick on his website. We've not done that. He put, I'm a healer on his business card. You understand? He did it. We've not done it. He did it. He says, I am the Lord that healeth 
thee. And if you look in small print, no impossible cases with Dr. Jesus. And so God has revealed himself. He wants us to know. Because he puts it all through the Bible. In in lots of places. That he heals the sick. In this passage in Exodus 23 and verse 25. God says to the Israelites. He says, I'm going to take sickness out of the midst of thee. I'll bless your food and your water. And I will remove sickness from you. Now again, you understand what I'm trying to... He didn't have to say that. It's perfectly reasonable that he just loved them and blessed them. But he actually gives a specific promise. To be their physician. To be their doctor. And that if they would follow him, he he would look after them medically as well as spiritually. So it's God who's put this on his business card. It's God who's put this... Uh, on his Facebook page that he heals people. I want us to look at a, this passage in Second Chronicles chapter 16. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Where God, and, and again, you may never have seen this verse before, but it, I, it's kind of interesting. I think it's to do with the King Asa, or Asa. Uh, and in Second Chronicles 16, and picking up, we'll pick it up from verse 11. You know how these, uh, these chronicles of the king's ends, always with, you know, the other events of his reign, are they not written somewhere else? And, um, and that's how this begins. And then we read in verse 12, in the 39th year of his reign, uh, Asa, or Asa, was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Uh, though his disease was severe... Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. It's not saying that it was wrong that he sought help from the physicians, but he only sought help from the physicians. And then in the 41st year, verse 13 of his reign, Asa died from the foot disease, we, we, we can presume, and rested with his fathers. Poor guy had bad feet. He had a terrible disease in his feet that was fatal. And when the, when the chronicler is talking about this, he sort of is telling the king off by saying he, had a, he made a mistake. He was ill and he sought the physicians, which was fine, but he never sought the Lord. And it's almost like, and I don't want to add to the text stuff that's not there, but I'm not sure that I'm doing that when I say, it's almost like God is disappointed. Why didn't this man seek me? Because I wanted to heal his feet. But he never asked me to do it. He was always down at the surgery. He was always, when you're a king, you afford all the medicines. You know, but he, he never asked God. And he died. He died from the problem. And you just get that sense that God wanted to heal him. We read in the life of Jesus Christ who, who comes to explain to us what the Father is like. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. 
And we see in the life of Jesus Christ, he goes, and, and again, let's be really clear, there is never a day when Jesus goes, knocks on the door of someone's house and says, hello, it's nice to see you, I see you're all healthy, but I've come here to give you cancer as a sign of God's love, as a, as a way to test your faith. He never does that. He takes sickness away from people. And it becomes a huge part of his, of his mission. It's almost like, here's the business card. Here's the great physician. I told you I was a healer. I told you, look and see what God is like. He teaches people, sure. He reproofs them, sure he does. He challenges them to live right, sure he does. He heals them as well. There are times when great power was coming out. It says they just came and touched him and all who touched him were made whole. We normally concentrate on the woman with the issue of blood. You know, that one time when she touches the hem of his garment. But actually there's, there's other occasions where whole crowds of people just touch him and they're all cured. That's who he is. And then in Matthew 10 verse 1, why don't you have a look at that with me if you... If you, uh, if you have your Bible, Matthew 10 and verse 1, we see that this whole thing of healing was meant to continue. Jesus gathers his disciples to him. And in Matthew 10 and verse 1, he gives them authority to drive out unclean spirits and to heal every uh, disease and sickness. Everyone. Everyone. So Jesus wants to give this ability away. He wants it to to continue wherever they go. Uh, just as a little aside, just for those who like this kind of stuff. Do you notice he didn't give them the gift of prophecy? Go and, I want you to go and give people words. No, he didn't give them that gift. He didn't give them the gift of tongues. So they could walk in and see someone lying in a bed and go, Oh, well, that's nice. Thank you very much. Goodbye. He didn't do that. Now these gifts all have their place, but the gift he wanted to give them as a sign of who he was and, who, and what the kingdom is about was the ability to take away the most terrible problems that people had. You remember in the Bible, when people were ill, it means they couldn't work. You understand that? That's a huge factor about healing in the Bible. It's to take away the thing that stopped them from working. So the healings were often attached to the removal of poverty from their families. You understand that? It's a slightly different world to ours. So he heals people so they can go back to work. And then in James 5, a passage we know very, very well, and if you don't know, just, you just have a look at it. We find this then continuing into the early church, long after Jesus has gone. And we read, uh, and we looked at this on the last session as well, about if anyone's in trouble, he should pray. He should pray himself. But if anyone be sick, let them call for others to pray. And uh, verses 14, 15, you, you see that. The, the, the guys come and they, the man, they pray over him because he's lying down. You see all the words are important. And they're anointed with oil. And I, maybe I'll mention that in a minute. And, and the man is raised up. So the first thing we do, the first factor of our, of our illness, particularly if we're talking about more than a headache, more than a bang on a car door, 
God actually wants you and me to seek him to heal us. He wants us to seek him to heal us. And some people go on long journeys in order to receive a miracle. Uh, if you'll forgive the, the slight allegory, but you remember how Jairus' uh, little girl is sick unto death. And Jairus falls before the Lord. Mark chapter 5 says, Lord, my little girl is, is sick. Come and put your hands upon her and she will live. Now, just, just watch this. Because maybe this will really, maybe you'll remember this for a long time. When Jesus had, had other, another invitation like that, someone who's not here is ill and they are many, I don't know, a mile or two away or wherever it was. What did Jesus do then? He sent his word and he healed them. The centurion or the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. Oh, my daughter has a demon. Lord, and Jesus is eating, you know, the story. And he says, okay, for such an answer, the, the, even the dogs eat the crumbs. Lord, for such an answer, go. You're, and, and the daughter was healed of the demon many miles away. So I want you to understand that, that in this context, when Jairus comes, Lord, please heal my little girl, we might think Jesus would do exactly the same thing. Just, just watch this. We might think he would do exactly the same thing. Oh, yes, you've got great faith, Jairus. Go home, you'll find her well. But he doesn't do that. He starts to go towards her. He moves himself towards her. For some people in this room, you haven't got your miracle yet, but it's on the way. And you become confused because the person next to you is like the centurion servant. And the person next to you over this side is like the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. They got healed in the first uh, meeting. Do you understand what I'm saying? They got healed straight away. Why haven't I been healed straight away? But Jesus does different things all the time. And in this instance, he began to go towards this girl. And, and in fact, as he was going towards her, she got iller and iller and died. Is that right? She died. Mark chapter 4. The, the girl died. And sometimes our problems get worse and worse. And in the, in get, in, when your problem gets worse and worse, you can be forgiven for thinking that Jesus is not coming towards your house. Well, he's coming. So sometimes there's a journey. Well, I didn't mean to say all that. We, we, should, we should come to God. We should come to God. Secondly, we should seek medical help as well. In, uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, verse 34, it says that when the Good Samaritan found the man uh, ill on the road, it doesn't say that he uh, prayed for him. It doesn't say he prayed for him. Uh, not that that would be wrong, of course. It says that he poured in oil and wine. That means he got out his medical kit and he applied first aid uh, to the man on the road. Uh, oil and wine were used as ancient medicines. And it could be that the anointing of oil is something similar in James chapter 5. But that might be too controversial to raise here. The point is this, that the guy got out his medical kit. 
and he did a bit of paramedic work on him on the road. What's your name, son? You know, can you hear me? He did a bit of paramedic work on him on the road. He got medicine out. In the Bible, it's not evil. It's not evil to have medicine. I'm saying it's a joke because in some extreme uh, healing uh, um, theologies, it is evil to, uh, to have medicine as though it's wrong, it's lack of faith. No, it's, it's not at all. And this amazing verse in First uh, Timothy 5, uh, verse 23, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Look, Timothy, you've been ever so ill with your stomach and the reason you've been ill is because you haven't been taking your medicine. That's exactly what he says. He said, you, do, you, you, you should take wine for your, for your upset stomach. Now notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't send him a green prayer cloth. Right? Can you say amen? <laughs> Eve rings him up, if, he, if you'll forgive the, you know, expression. He writes him a letter. He says, take your medicine, son. Take your medicine. Last week, uh, among us were a couple of missionaries from the Congo in, in the service here just last week. And they were friends with uh, Willie Burton. And Willie Burton is uh, one of the uh, um, extremely famous Pentecostal apostles to the Congo, saw innumerable signs and wonders in the Congo, and uh, uh, he's the guy who laid hands upon people in the Congo, and they used to speak in other tongues, but they used to speak in perfect English. Uh, they didn't learn English, but English came out of their mouth. So he uh, had incredible anointing. But they were sharing with me just in the back at the end of the service last week, they said, it's funny, we, they went to see Willie Burton just before he died. They, they knew him as an old man. And he said, uh, he, as he was sort of, uh, it's always funny with these stories, isn't it? So as people are dying, as though they're passing away their last words. And I don't know if it was exactly that. But he said, but they were telling me one of the great things of advice he said, he said, I've got two words of advice for you as missionaries. I'm putting the voice on. I have no idea if he talked like that. I, 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 uh, I've got two words of advice for you as missionaries. This is my I'm about to die voice. Uh, which is a little how I sounded when I banged my head on the car door about an hour ago. I got a little bit of advice. Fortunately, the neighbors didn't see it because they're all asleep. They all think it's, um, they all think it's uh, 10 to 11. I said, uh, he said, and I've lost my train of thought now, being funny. Stop that. He said, two words of advice. Always look after yourself and always take your anti-malaria tablets. <laughs> Willie, Willie Burton of the Congo, apostle of faith, Take your tablets. Well, of course you should take your tablets. Here's the truth. Now, I can't, I can't talk to women. It's always been my problem. I can't talk to women, but I talk to men. Men, man to man, here's something. I think that men would rather climb Mount Everest than go to the doctor. I think there are some men, now that you may be in a, a different category of this. You may have a season ticket to the doctor. You may just rejoice at the thought of getting ill so you can pop down and see the doctor. 
But I think there's huge amounts of people, and maybe women are part of this as well, they do not like going to the doctor. Uh, They don't like him prodding and poking them. They don't like what they may hear, the doctor. So there comes a, a, you know, living in denial thing, right? Oh, I won't go. I won't go. I know that I've not been able to walk for six months, but I'll probably be all right. And there's a real sense that I'm not going to go to the doctor. By the way, I had this myself this year. It took me, the only way to get me to the doctor was to give me a night of excruciating pain. And believe me, the next morning I was there. But without that night of pain, I would never have gone. There's like a resistance and a, and most doctors are really nice anyway. I don't know what it is, but people do not, some people just don't like going to the doctor. Now I know there's other people, they love going to the doctor. They're in there every day. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, doctor thinking, how, how can I get this one out? Sometimes God might want you to go to the doctor. You ever thought of that? You ever thought that God might have invented doctors? You ever thought that God might have given knowledge to doctors? People like Luke, the doctor, in uh, Colossians uh, 4, verse 14, we find out Luke was a doctor. Do you ever think there might have been a reason why Paul chose a doctor to travel with him? All throughout the uh, ancient world? Do Do you ever think Paul was a bit smart and thought, you know what? Who shall I bring with me on this dangerous journey of illness and persecution? I know. I'll go and see my GP. Hello, Luke. So nice to see you. How am I? I'm fine, actually. Fancy coming on a missionary journey? Really? Yeah, yeah. You'll be in all the Bible maps for 2,000 years. We'll even write a book or two on the way, Luke. Some people just don't like... Do do you ever get the feeling... Has it ever occurred to you that God might actually want you to entrust yourself to an operation in a hospital? That God, that might be what God wanted for you? To, for something in your character where you learn to trust people? You ever thought of that? Where you have a, a sense of being in control, but if you go and have a an operation, you'll be out of control, and, it, and it's a char- this is a character issue. It's not, or, or plenty of people who, who may not want to go to the doctor because they want to have a great testimony, and it's not such a great testimony if you have an operation. Oh, well, I wanted a better testimony than that. I wanted to wake up and it was all gone. Well, we all want that. You know, you know who are you? Different to anyone else. We all want to wake up tomorrow and be healthy. We all want to have a miracle. But has it ever occurred to you that God might actually want you to entrust yourself to someone else? I just throw that in for free. So we should seek medical help. And I I always tell people in in some of the healing meetings I've done, because people want to know, they receive prayer, and then they, sometimes I'll be asked this question, I've been asked it, much more than just once. They'll say, well, now I've been prayed for, should I, should I continue to, to take my tablets, you know, or all that kind of thing. And brother, can I just say, I always say, absolutely you should. Absolutely. Maybe if you're on like painkillers, you can kind of 
maybe you can afford to take a risk or two with that. But, but you, if the doctor put you on the medicine, the doctor should take you off the medicine. And the reason why people get scared about taking their medicine after they receive prayer is because they've actually got, in my opinion, a distorted view of God. And their distorted view of God is this, that God has healed me, but now as I take this tablet and put it in my mouth, he will unheal me because he's cruel and because I've failed the test. And I just want you to know that's not God at all. God will not unheal people who are, who are taking their medicines. That's, that's not God. That, brother and sister, is positive thinking masquerading as Christianity. You believe that by believing, 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 you're being healed. That, that's not Christianity. That's just positive thinking. And I said a few weeks ago that all Christian thinking is positive, but not all positive thinking is Christian. Anyway, just think about that. Just think about that. You're not healed by believing, believing, but you're healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he heals people as they give him a little bit of faith and it travels, traverses into them. And they are set free. So in terms of the whole, should I take medicine, should I not, what should I do, should I go to the doctor, just be sure that you're responding according to the, the Spirit of God in the Bible and not responding according to what you would like and not responding to some sort of positive thinking that's masquerading itself as Christianity. Okay. Finally, we really should learn to look after one another. We're talking about how do we respond to illness. We respond to it by coming to God. We want God to touch us. That's not to forsake medical aid, as though that's something wrong. There's something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And finally, in terms of how we respond to illness, and this is going right back to where I started last week, we should learn actually, you know that old Bible verse here in Matthew twenty-five thirty-six that last week very few people in the room even knew. When I was sick, you looked after me. And we did, a, if you weren't here, we did a little straw test. Who knows? Everyone knows when I was in prison, you visited me. Everyone knows when I was hungry, you fed me. Everyone knows when I was naked, you clothed me. But when you throw out, what does it say when Jesus says when I was sick? Everyone goes a bit blank. And I've done that test with pastors and with all sorts of people. And, and I did it because I didn't know what it I didn't know it. I had to look it up myself. When I was sick, says Jesus, you looked after me. You looked after me. And uh, we need to have a, a real sense in our lives of looking after people uh, who are ill. And we need to have a... Uh, and, and, and that's a community responsibility. Let's just be clear. If looking after all the ill was down to a single individual in a suit on a Sunday, then that individual in the suit on the Sunday, he's going to need looking after by the end of the week. And so this is a community responsibility. It's not just upon a few people to uh, do this. And that's in the church life. But just in our family life, you may have people, and in fact, they're not well. You should look after them. You should look after them. And, and I realize that in the British culture, we're probably least qualified to educate the world on that matter because we've not been very good at that at all. And other cultures have come and taught the British culture a, a, a lot about taking care of, of uh, people. 
Jesus said, when I was sick, you looked after me. He didn't say you prayed for me. He said you looked after me. And sometimes the most Christian thing for us to do is to look after people. And I said last time, there are, there are plenty of people who do not have miraculous gifts. And uh, they cannot, at least at this time in their lives, at this particular time, maybe in the future, all be very different. But at this time, this afternoon, if you found a relative at home very ill, maybe you can pray for them, but maybe the miraculous gifts are not in your hands. Maybe they are. But what you can do is you can actually go and make the meal. When someone is ill, you, you can go to Tesco and do the shopping for them. That's as biblical as praying for them and seeing a miracle happen. And as I said last week, you get the club card points and all. Oh, if a man sows, he shall reap. Jesus of Nazareth went around doing what? Good? Acts 10.38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He went around doing what? Good. Good. And healing. Jesus did good to people and he healed people. So we should be good. One of my Bible college lecturers who's with the Lord now, he gave himself, before he entered the ministry in Bible teaching, he gave himself to the nursing profession. Because he wanted to obey the scripture. Jesus went around and he did good. He did good. When I had an accident at college, I cracked my head and Maybe I do that a lot. And uh, he was straight on the scene. One of my lecturers, straight on the scene, checking me out. I thought, I look, mate, I know you know about Hebrew and Greek, but do you know anything about the eye? You know, what, what's this about? And he gave me a little checkup. Did a bit of paramedic on me. As I lay on the floor in all blood. And I thought, well, anyway, they'll do, they'll do for another time. But I remember thinking, I hope you know what you're talking about, mate. You're checking me out here. I know you know who wrote Luke's gospel and when, but do you know anything about my head? And what he did, he was a nurse. But he became a nurse because he wanted to do good. That's not, I don't think in his ministry he had a huge track record of miraculous occurrences. But it's just as biblical to do the shopping or do the cooking as it is to do miraculous healings. Let's just get the balance right. Amen. Turn to Psalm 41. We'll finish with this. We're going to finish by looking at a prayer of David, King David, when he was ill. Psalm 41. And there's so much in here. Uh, this, is, this psalm is a summary, really, of 
Everything we said today, everything we said last, last time. It's a summary of it all. Because it contains ideas about miracles, it contains ideas about care, it contains ideas about God using the illness for good, it's all here in Psalm 41. It's all here about looking after people. Verse 1, blessed is he who has regard for the weak. You see that? Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. This is a psalm about illness. So here, the weak means someone who's unwell. Blessed is the one who looks after the ill. That's not an unfair translation of that. Because the Lord will deliver him in times of trouble. If you give yourself, the Bible says, to, the, to those who are less fortunate, God gives himself to you. It's a, just a biblical principle, isn't it? The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. Bless him in the land. Look at verse 3. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him. There are two things there, aren't there? One, the Lord sustains him. And that's a little bit about what this course has been about these last two weeks. How to be sustained in the world of sickness. How to be sustained when unwell. Not just healed. We find he heals him too. He restores him from his bed. God will get you out of that bed. But he will also look after you when you're in that bed. And now David is talking about himself. He says, oh, oh Lord... Have mercy on me. Heal me. And in this case, he understands his transgression. He says, for I've sinned against you. And he talks about his enemies whispering. And then in verse 8, a vile disease has beset him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. That's what his enemies were saying about him. But he knows that God will help him. Verse 10, you, O Lord, have mercy on me. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. If ever you're ill, you should have Psalm 41 nicely bookmarked away so you can read it, look at it. It's a prayer of a sick person to say, Lord, I know that you're going to sustain me and I know you're going to raise me up. At this moment in time, I don't feel better, but I believe the Master is coming towards my house. So may the Lord help us as we journey through the world of sickness. As we sometimes are there in all loneliness, uh, and as much as people can be sympathetic, really, we're kind of on our own. May the Lord be the sustainer of our lives. And if you're listening to me, either here in the room or on the pod, then uh, in the name of Jesus, get well soon and be blessed. Let's all stand.